to be with you all this morning. I never, ever, ever take lightly what it is to stand behind such a, a pulpit that has uh, existed and, and been a part of the work of God for so many years and to be in this place with you people, <laughs> as Daniel sometimes calls you, you people. I love you all so much and I'm so honored to do the ministry and be a part of things here at EZN, and I, I count it a blessing and a, and, an op, and, and, and a wonderful opportunity anytime I get to, to open the Word on a Sunday morning with you. The last few weeks, Pastor Daniel has been moving us through the Old Testament story in our lectionary series and finishing up Exodus or Genesis as he, we talked about the story of Joseph and how his, his, how his life culminated in his people coming and being saved in, in Egypt, and then we talked with Medicare last week about the beginning of Moses' story and really the saving and the sparing of his life and how God was, was working in him and through him and his family at a very young age. And today our lectionary, uh, our lectionary text carries us on in to probably uh, the beginning of the, the, the most recognizable pieces of Moses' story. And, and, uh, and we're going to jump in there in just a moment in Exodus chapter 3 if you want to begin looking. We continue. We see Moses from last week. Moses has been raised in the palace now as the as the a prince of Egypt by the daughter of Pharaoh. And, and there were parts along the way that we haven't discussed, and and and, and maybe uh, we we will remember where he tried taking some matters into his own hands to protect his people, even so, uh, murdering an Egyptian uh, who was uh, mistreating his people. And then he runs out of Egypt and finds himself in the middle of nowhere after covering up a murder that he thought no one would know about, and he was found out. So let's, let's stand as we get ready to read. We're going into Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, he said. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, the cry of the, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. Bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is alive and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And now this morning, Lord, as we open it before you, we ask that you would use it to divide our hearts, to speak to us, and to move us so that we may leave this place looking more like you than when we came in. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. God has heard the cries of his people in, in Egypt. It, we, we see Daniel talked for a little bit last year about how long that was and the discrepancy. We're not jumping into all that this morning. But we know that God has heard the cries of his people and he has formulated a plan. He has come down and he is going to rescue his people from the slavery in Egypt. And what we don't see is God showing up in places of power. Here, God does not appear in the palace in Egypt himself and say, Pharaoh, you're done, buddy. I'm taking my people and going. He doesn't show up to rulers or principalities in the world. He doesn't show up in the high places. He doesn't come with this plan to deliver his people. He doesn't come after years of silence and just show up in this huge, awe-inspiring way to people who had power and authority to make a change. We see God showing up in the middle of nowhere, as he calls a mumble-mouthed murderer who's herding sheep on the backside of a desolate mountain, and God calls him by name, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name because he knows him. God knows Moses. He knows where he's come from. We've seen early in Moses' life how God delivered him in what should have been a horrific ending to his brand new life. From the moment Moses was born, God has had his hand on him and has set him apart and has delivered him for maybe this moment right now. God knows Moses. He knows him from the basket, and he knows him to now. He knows what happened with the Egyptian. He knows how he hid him in the sand. He knows of how he was raised and all of the things that have led to this moment, his past, his failures. God calls him by name. And that should matter to us this morning. He didn't just appear to somebody. He came to Moses, knowing full well all of his dysfunction. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside and looked and paid attention, then he begins to speak to Moses. I was reading this this week, and a beautiful thing about the scripture, you can read it over and over and over, and I feel like this is a very common scripture. Has anybody, has everybody heard the story of the burning bush? You can raise your hand. Come on now, throw them up. We're going to get woken up this morning. We've heard about the burning bush. It's hard, I think, to preach common scriptures. It's hard to, cre to preach common stories because we've heard them, and especially as a preacher, I've preached them multiple times. But as I read this this morning, or not this morning, but this week as I was studying, the, there was a piece that stuck out to me, and it was that the Lord was in the burning bush, but he did not speak until he knew that Moses was paying attention. I think that that is huge, and we're going to sit on that for a moment. We're going to come back to that, right? He did not speak until he knew that Moses was paying attention. He moves on. When Moses comes and realizes something's going on, he calls out to Moses. And Moses begins to approach, and, and God says, stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. 
for this is holy ground. There's some things happening culturally here that I think are important for us to, to pay attention to. Pay attention to. The, removing the sandals culturally is a, is a sign of an appropriate humility. Um, in, in the time in which they lived, we know they walked everywhere. There was the, 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 the poor probably didn't even wear shoes. So to have sandals at all may have been a status symbol of some sort. He had come from the palace. Um, but to, to remove his sandals, to be on bare feet before God was, was a humility, was a, was a humbling act. To be barefoot, to, to be low like a servant in God's presence, it, it recognizes the immediate presence of God. And in many cultures, you enter a, someone's house, the first thing you do is remove your shoes. And God is saying in this moment, you have stepped into my house, you have stepped into my presence remove your shoes humble yourself before me so that we can have this conversation so Moses takes off his sandals out of reverence and in humility and God begins to lay out this plan for Moses he says I've heard the cries of my people and I'm going to do something about it we are going to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians and you are going to be the one who goes. And Moses, what, he does what I think every one of us do when we begin to feel the tug of God, right? Instantly, we go to the excuses, right? Like, oh, oh, Lord, <laughs> you, you don't know who you're talking to. Well, I called you by name, don't I? Well, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I've got all these things, and i got this past, and i got the, these people know me, right? Like, I have history in Egypt. I'm sure you're aware. You know, he goes to these excuses about how he's not qualified. It's later on that he begins to talk about how he's how he can't talk in front of people and, and all of these different things. But God lays out his plan and, and ultimately Moses' first and greatest question he comes back to with God is who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I? I of course, you know, he was raised in the palace. Who am I? You were raised in the palace. Well, who am I? I I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, right? I just, I probably smell real bad. I've been living with these sheep. We're on the backside of this mountain in the middle of nowhere. Like, come on, it's been 40 years. Like, how am I going to go back into, like, how am I going to do this? Come on, now, I'm 80 years old now. Like, who am I, God, to, to go back in? And, and you can see this kind of back and forth maybe happening as Moses is just instantly drawn back to... Like, okay, God, we haven't talked about this yet, but you know I committed murder there, right? Like, there's all of these things in Moses' mind. He's instantly drawn to his deficiencies. He's instantly drawn to all the ways that he doesn't measure up. And God's answer, God doesn't even honor his question by, by, by reassuring him, oh, that murder, it was... That you were trying to do something. He doesn't, he doesn't try to, to, to discount all of the problems. He doesn't try to instantly go to, hey, you know, we're going to work on the talking thing. I've got a plan. You've got this brother. We're going to be okay. He doesn't go through all the reasons that Moses is qualified. He doesn't remind him, hey, you grew up in the palace. I put you there. Remember, you should have been drowned in the river. Like, he doesn't even address the question of who am I. He doesn't remember his, or remind him of all of this. The only qualification you need, he says to Moses basically, is I am with you. Everything else does not matter. The only response he gives to who am I is I am with you. 
And that is powerful. Because I think as we, as we listen to and, and have heard the story of God calling Moses over and over, and we, we listen to, we, we, we are just like Moses, instantly drawn to think about our flaws and to think about all of the reasons why I can't. Right? It, it, from, the, from, the, from the youngest child to, to the most saintly person, when, when we know God is up to something, when we know God is moving in our world and in our hearts, sometimes it's so easy to pause and get stopped and get stuck at, who am I? <laughs> who am I to say anything to anybody about their sin? Who am I to say to lead a Bible study? Come on. How can I teach anybody about relationships? Sheesh. These people know me. Who am I? And God says, no, no, no. I will be with you. I will be with you. There is a very cliche saying that we have used. I've heard it most of my life. And I I didn't even write it down because it's, I, I know we've heard it, that God does not call the equipped, but he what? He equips the called. And the equipping is that short phrase, I will be with you. He doesn't promise Moses, hey, I'm going to make you a great speaker. Hey, I'm going to do all these. He does give him some things he can rely on. I'm going to give you some signs. I'm going to give you some things so that you know that I'm with you. I'm going to give you some things that others will know that I am with you, but they are not pointing to Moses' capability. None of this has anything to do with who Moses is, but that God is with him. At NYC, we, uh, we heard a phrase that has stuck with me, and, and I will forever use it and share it. Um, Lamoris Crawford, our first morning speaker, he said, when we testify, we remind the devil that he's a loser, right? When we testify... We remind the devil that he's a loser. And so having an opportunity to stand here with you this morning, I cannot help but take a moment and an opportunity to testify, to share with you, the greater church of ECN, what God is doing, what God has done, and what I pray God will continue to do for some time. I've shared in board reports. I've made some posts here and there. We've talked a lot on Wednesdays, but I don't know how much you all get to see and hear about the details of what God is doing and stirring among your teenagers. We have had one of the most incredible summer experiences with God that I can remember as a leader. We, we, we started at church camps this summer, and actually my experience this summer started at General Assembly and General Convention, worshiping with friends and family from across the world. And then to get to share in church camp with our students and watch as God called them further along the path of their pilgrimage in faith. And we watched as students committed themselves and recommitted themselves to Jesus. We watched as God broke out, the Holy Spirit pours out on on his group of teenagers on a Wednesday night as we're worshiping. We've received communion, and we go back into a little bit of worship and prayer, and that prayer extends for almost another two hours as students are praying and seeking God and, and, and speaking with leaders and speaking with each other and praying with each other as God moves and is, is finding, uh, kids are finding freedom and being restored and and renewed as some students are experiencing the call of God placed on their lives. God is calling students to be in ministry. We spent time at the creek down there baptizing. We baptized three students at high school camp. 
Right? And then we, we go into middle school camp. Much of the same students who have never been a part of church camp before coming in and experiencing what it is to worship with students like them from all over the Mid-South District. They, they have such a small, limited worldview of what church and God and faith is all about. And, and praise God, they, they have some of that from here on Wednesday night, and it's a good thing. But they step into this camp experience where now they're surrounded by 300 other people who are passionate. And they are worshiping and they're seeking God and, and finding out that, you know what, I may not be in the same place in my journey as they are, but you know what, God is calling me to take the next step and he's with me and he wants more for me and he wants more from me. And God moved and he, and he overflowed and poured out on his students. We take 42 people from ECN to NYC and the spirit of God in one of the most Holy Spirit orchestrated moves of God that I've ever experienced in my life. He just pours out his goodness and he pours out his love and he redeems and he restores and he brings forth students, more students called into the vocational ministry to be pastors and youth pastors and missionaries. 62 kids from across the Mid-South, kids and leaders even, across the Mid-South experienced a call to ministry at NYC in 2023. Six kids from Houston County proclaim a call to ministry over this summer between church camp and NYC. Since we've been home, I have two other students who have come to talk to me that weren't at either of those events, but due to the overflow of God in the lives of our students who have come home, they're asking questions, and they're curious about what God may do in them and through them, and if this life of ministry is something that they may be called to themselves. As we come home, we have students taking the gospel into moving trucks as they're tearing down fireworks tents across Middle Tennessee, asking, PJ, how do, how do we share the gospel? I'm real frustrated. They didn't want to listen to me today. That's okay. Just keep living it out, man. Just keep being present. We have a, a, a handful of football players who come home and decide together, we're going to win our team for Jesus. And I haven't posted and, and shared all the details everywhere, but some young men have gotten lit on fire for Jesus, and they decided to start a prayer meeting after practice on the football field, y'all. God is moving in the lives of our students. And that four and five kids that came home lit up about, a lot of kids came home lit up about Jesus, but I can just point specifically to these boys right now. Young high school men, high school boys, come on now. They're the ones that are usually sitting in the back, goofing off, acting a fool, distracted and focused on one thing, where the girls. But right now, they're, they're still girls, but they are focused on Jesus, hallelujah. And they decided to go into a place that is notorious as Egypt. It's treachery, it's hard. Men, you've been in a football locker room. You could say amen. You know what it's like to, what, to walk in with the gospel? To say, hey, fellas, we're going to stay after this afternoon and pray. If you want to stay, you're, we're going to be here. And that group has grown to well over half the team. Half the team sticking around to share the highs and the lows of their day and then to pray together. Not only that, but on Sunday afternoons when they have film sessions together, afterwards they're invited to stay to receive and, and participate in a devotional time together. 24 kids in that first 
devotional. I don't know what the numbers are now, but I know that God is moving. And numbers aside, I'm telling you stories this morning, friends, that God is moving in their lives. And I know because I've baptized three of them so far. (sighs) It's evidence of the Holy Spirit doing something phenomenal. Right? We got guys showing up at church on Wednesday that we may have had a little contact with through the years, and they're showing up like, hey, I went to prayer meeting at football, and I knew in that moment, like, I didn't know how to handle it at first. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't, I stayed away for a little while, but then I went, and PJ, it makes a difference in my life. And I knew that I had to get back to church. And I knew that once I got here, I need to, I need to be involved in, in whatever you got going, man. I need to be in the creek. I need to be here and there. And for four years, we've been taking kids down and throwing them in Yellow Creek at the beginning of the, of the school year, just off the diving board, elbows, whatever, you know, just having a good time. And this year, one of those football players who wasn't at either of the events this summer says to me, PJ, can you baptize me at the creek this Sunday? Absolutely, bud. Absolutely. So we get to talk to mom and dad who are not church people. And we, and, and we go to the creek and we, we have this baptism experience. And we will always and forever offer to baptize anybody that God is moving on in the moment. And that night we baptized another young lady who God is moving on her heart. And she knows she needs to be here and be invested in what God is doing. She says, I feel at home when I'm here at ECN, PJ, and I need, I need more of it. I need more. We're dealing with lots of parents and families who are not church. The next week we go back, one of, one of my daughter's friends, a kid we've known for a long time, unchurched family says, hey, um, going back to the creek Sunday night, can, uh, can I be baptized? Absolutely you can be baptized. Like God is stirring in a kid that I had, I had no clue. And we begin to sit down and have a conversation like, are you ready? You know what it means? I call her dad. Are y'all good with this? How, how does this work? He said, yeah, we're good with it. We trust her. We know she is going to do what's good for her. And, uh, and this, you know, amazing story. And I'll tell that night, that one baptism became five. Five students saying right now, the Lord is moving in my heart, and I need to do something about it. Five kids, two more football players that night. And I don't mean to, 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 to stack out those guys separate, because God is moving in, in so many of our students' lives. But it's just, for me, it's a point of high school boys is the toughest creature to crack in my world. It's tough. Because there's such, we've created, our culture has created such an image of machismo and of, I've got to just be, mm, I've just got to be the man, and I can't be tender, and I can't be responsive and receptive. If I show weakness, I'm toast. And we've got boys, friends, on a Wednesday night, our kids are worshiping more passionately than they've ever worshiped. They're responding. We don't even have altars. They're coming to the front of the stage on wood. There's no carpet up there. They're kneeling on the wood floor to pray and respond, to receive whatever God wants to say to them and challenge them with at the end of a service. And it's being led by high school boys. They're the ones raising their hands. They're the ones singing out and and, and grabbing a hold of all the other kids. Y'all get in. Let's go. Because God has done something incredible in their heart. Because they knew in their own strength they couldn't go back. But they knew, I will go with you. It is not because of who they are. It it helps. But it's because of whose they are. 
It's because they've taken God at his word that they've gone back into their Egypt and they have begun to see God do things that only God can do. And we must continue to pray for them. We must continue to, to come alongside them and encourage them. We must look into the fire and see what God is calling from us as well. For 12 years, we have become accustomed to seeing hundreds of teenagers scurry around our, our campus on a Wednesday night. If you've never been on a Wednesday night, park up at the E-Kids house, and just sit in your car with the air running, and just watch a minute. You're going to see some dumb stuff, I promise, because they're, they're not all those boys down on the front row. I'll tell you, that's the truth. Some of them still living pretty heavy in, the, in, in Egypt. The thing about Moses, or I've heard, I don't know if you've heard this, uh, surely we have at this point. But a bush spontaneously combusting in this part of the country is not abnormal. It's not abnormal. Moses wasn't surprised that the bush was on fire. Moses was surprised, and it caught his attention because it wasn't burning up. It wasn't crackling and, and, and just burning up and dying. The fire continued. And it wasn't being, the bush was not being consumed by that fire. But he noticed that it was different. Something was happening. And it was when he paid attention that God began to speak. Friends, we've become accustomed to a parking lot full of kids and cars running over each other trying to pick them up on a Wednesday night. But let us not get so accustomed to that fire that we don't pause to look closer, to see God in it. We've got to stop and give our attention to what God is doing because in that moment I know God is speaking. God is moving. Can you hear him calling you by name? God is in what is happening here and I would hate for us to miss out because it just seems like, well, we've been doing that forever. That's, that's kind of normal, kids showing up. And, but you don't all get to see what's happening. You don't get to see these students poured out before God on the floor just asking God, show me my arrogance, God. Show me my arrogance so that I am not the blade that severs the community that you are building here. God, bring me from old to new. Call out of me that which does not belong so that I can step fully into who you are creating me to be. And God is calling all of us, ECN. And he's lit up a fire in the student ministry here, and I praise God for it, but the fire cannot die with our students alone, amen? We must be a people. We must be a people who pay attention, who turn aside and move in. Move into that fire and find out what God is saying to us, what God is calling to us. No matter your past, no matter what you've come from, no matter all the reasons in your mind that you've disqualified yourself from service or from being a part. And I'm not saying everybody's called to be working with teenagers. Some of y'all may be working with kids. Some of y'all are called to just go back to the Egypt's that you encounter every day. I don't know what God's gonna say to you, but I know that he knows you. I know he will call you by name. And I know that his promise is, I will be with you. I, will, I don't mean to point my finger at you. There is no age limit 
on God's calling in our life, young or old. The calling is to go, and I will be with you. His people are in bondage all around us, and God wants to send us to bring them out of their Egypt. And there may be some sandals in our lives that need to come off as we enter the presence of God. Some of us may need to let go of some past issues. Some of us may need to humble ourselves and just be pulled in and called by the presence of God. 